0: We're concluding a series today entitled Spiritual Urban Legends. Each week, we've looked at a statement about God or Christian life that is assumed to be true, but in the end, is just legend. As we've tried to show, often the reason something becomes a legend is because there are parts of the statement that are true, even if it isn't true in its entirety. Today's spiritual urban legend is no different. Good Christians never judge. Often, this statement gets tossed out in response to a Christian person objecting to a certain behavior. The person's behavior who is being questioned may even quote Jesus' own words in Matthew 7:1, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. See, don't tell me what to do, the person may retort. Good Christians aren't supposed to judge, even Jesus said so. And in one sense, the person is right. If we think about judgment on a continuum, there are two extremes. On the one hand, we have no judgment. Those in this extreme would say, who are we to judge? We aren't perfect either. We don't wanna be hypocrites, so we won't say anything about another person's behavior. In addition, these people live by the beliefs of tolerance and relativism. Whatever I have come to believe about moral behavior is just my belief doesn't mean it's right for everyone. In Christian circles, we would say that people on this extreme are characterized by all love, no truth. On the other hand, we have the all judgment people. And these are people, I'm sure you can think of some, who are hypercritical of others. They can find fault with everything about you, how you dress, how you talk, what music you listen to, what you even named your pet. Most of us can sense this kind of smug self-righteousness. We we have a saying, don't get on your high horse with me, because indeed it feels as if these people are standing above us, reprimanding us, not alongside us. And we resent that. We don't like to be talked down to. These people are all truth and no love. Each extreme has its problems, practically and biblically speaking, on the judgment side, The problem practically is that the standard set by the self-righteous is so high, not even they can reach it. They disdain you for using disposable instead of renewable, reusable bags at the grocery store and yet they do nothing to care for the vulnerable in our society. This is what Jesus was referring to in Matthew 7 when he said, do not judge or you too will be judged. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the while there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. If you don't appreciate self righteous people who live inconsistently but are critical of others, you're in good company. Jesus didn't either. But that's the problem with the all judgment side. No one save Jesus can live consistently in all areas of life. That's the human condition. We aren't perfect, Christians included. And unfortunately, to pretend we aren't and be super critical of others does more to turn people off to Christianity than it does to turn them on to it. But that's not all. The all judgment side has a problem biblically, too. To be super critical of others' behavior just in an effort to stand up for truth isn't fully consistent with the Jesus revealed in the Bible. Listen to Jesus' own words about those who didn't obey him in John 12, 47 to 48. I do not judge them for I did not come to judge the world but to save it. But on the other extreme, no judgment has its problems too. Practically, it just isn't possible to live in a world without making judgments. We make judgments every day about how we will live what is morally acceptable behavior and whether or not someone can be trusted you can say you can talk about tolerance as much as you want but at the end of the day would you trust this person to babysit your children or marry your little sister or take on increasingly more responsibilities at your company biblically this extreme of no judgment is also not fully consistent with the picture of jesus in the new testament it is true that when the religious leaders brought to Jesus a woman caught in the act of adultery and expected him to come down hard on her, he surprised them by saying, Woman, has no one condemned you? Then neither do I condemn you. And yet, his next words were, Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus didn't condemn people, but that doesn't mean he condoned their behavior. So what are we to make of this urban legend? Where is the truth if not in either extreme? Do good Christians ever judge? As we've done with each legend, we're gonna look at what the Bible has to say about this topic. I want us to look this morning at three questions as we try to discern when judging may be appropriate. Who are we to judge? What are we to judge? And how are we to judge? We're gonna look at each one of these in turn. So first, who are we to judge? This is often where Christians get it wrong. Sometimes we think that in order to be faithful to the moral standard God has called us to, it is our job to blow the whistle on every incident in our world where people outside the Christian community are not living according to God's ways. It may come as a surprise to you that's not actually what we are encouraged to do. The Bible has a lot to say about how we as followers of Jesus should interact with those who are not following Jesus. And the main theme is not that we are to judge. In fact, it's quite the opposite. There are several passages I could point to, but let me highlight just one. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul addresses a church with moral problems. Verse one states the issue. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind not even the pagans would tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Now, it's not quite as bad as it sounds. The man is not sleeping with his own mother, but it's close. He's sleeping with his stepmother. Paul says this is wrong, that he should be ashamed of himself the church has a long history of not always living morally. Paul's response to this is a clear reprimand and a plea for the perpetrator to be held accountable. He says, I have already passed judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ on the one who has been doing this. He instructs the community to take away the man's privileges and to do all they can to help him realize his sin and change his behavior, both for his sake and the sake of the community. Now here is why this is relevant. A few verses later, it becomes apparent that the church has misunderstood Paul's instructions and has withdrawn from society. They've interpreted Paul's reprimand to mean they aren't supposed to interact with anyone immoral, even people who are not professing to be followers of Jesus. And Paul's response to this is fascinating. It gives us great insight into how we are to view people around us who do not profess to have any Christian faith. Verse nine, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral. Did you catch that? Paul isn't encouraging Christians to withdraw from the world around them because it's so corrupt. On the contrary, he's saying you can't escape the immorality around you, that's your reality. And then he adds this critical conclusion, for our purposes anyway, in verses 12 to 13. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. So, who are we to judge as Christians? Other Christians not people who do not claim to follow Jesus. So the atheist woman in the cubicle next to you has a mouth like a sailor, or the agnostic single guy in your office is sleeping with his girlfriend, or your unchurched wealthy neighbor seems to care nothing about injustice. I am not saying this behavior is excusable. In fact, as we'll see in a moment, we in the Christian community are to live by different standards. But as we rub shoulders with people who do not profess faith in God, it is not our job to judge them. Judging people outside the Christian faith for their lack of morality is like holding someone to a standard they never signed up for. Imagine if one day when you went to your mailbox, you got a bill. And it was from an organization you had never heard of you think, why am I getting this? I didn't sign up for this. And why am I having to pay dues and fines for this? Similarly, judging people who do not profess to have a Christian faith by the standards of Jesus is like asking someone to pay for a service they never opted in for. For any of you here this morning who have not yet said yes to Jesus' invitation to the good life, I want you to hear something. Despite what you may have been told or how you may have been judged, you do not need to clean up your life before you come to Jesus. Jesus does not stand over you wagging his finger in your face telling you to shape up, clean up, straighten up. Instead, he invites you Come, all who are thirsty, and I will give you living water. Jesus would rather have you come as you are than wait until you become perfect. Because guess what? Those of us who follow him aren't perfect either. It won't take you too long to figure that out. If you read the biographies about Jesus, you'll see he's always hanging out with people who had a reputation. In fact, the people who most incited Jesus' anger were not the prostitutes and tax collectors, the outcasts of his day. It was the religious people who were often judging those people. So come as you are. And I also want to say, I am sorry if some Christians have judged you for a standard you never signed up for. Not all Christians are that way. And more importantly, please do not judge Jesus by how those of us who follow him have treated you. We don't always get it right. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to keep exploring who Jesus is. Read the biographies about him. See him him in action with other people. And as you grow in your relationship with him, the rest will sort itself out. But to those of us here this morning who do profess faith in Jesus, our main job isn't to judge, but rather to be an example, to live with integrity. 1 Peter 2.12 says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Our job is not to judge and condemn our spiritually unengaged friends, neighbors, or coworkers, but rather to win them over by by providing a compelling alternative. And that compelling alternative happens as they see us live our lives with integrity in the workplace, at home, in our communities, standing up for what's right, even when it's not popular or easy. Let me tell you, you be a mom on the PTA or sports team who doesn't engage in backbiting or posturing for position and people will notice. You be a man who not only remains faithful to your wife but is vigilant about how you talk and joke about women and people will notice. You be a student or an athlete or an employee who doesn't get ahead by putting other people down and people will notice. You might not get rewarded right away, but over time, people will see something different about you. No one can argue with a life well lived. And that's the point, Peter says. When they see your good deeds, they may not agree with you. They may not even like you, but they will not be able to dismiss your integrity or your faith in God. And that alone will have an effect. That's what we're to be about. Can you imagine what might happen if those of us in this room who trust in Jesus would make this our goal? What if instead of spending our energy scrutinizing the immorality of those around us, we channeled that energy into living lives of integrity in every sphere of our lives? We wouldn't have to be telling people about Jesus. They'd be flocking to him. They'd be asking us, as Peter says in the next chapter, the reason for the hope that is within us. So who are Christians to judge? Other Christians. So does that mean we should be all judgment as long as it's with a brother or sister in Christ? Here's how, where we need to look at our second question. What are we to judge? Again, the Bible has a lot to say on this, but let me try and simplify it. We are to judge blatant sin. Even in the example we just looked at from 1 Corinthians, Paul passes judgment on a Christian who is engaging in blatant, ongoing, unrepentant wrongdoing. We are to call people to account when the situation is black and white. When a pastor is embezzling funds from the church, he should be dismissed. When a person is abusing others, he should be reported and confronted. Admittedly, it is difficult to confront when the sins are more subtle and subversive, like greed, gossip, envy, or pride. But if we are paying attention we can often see the warning signs of bad behavior. As the old saying goes, where there's smoke, there's fire. And when we see those warning signs, we must be willing to speak out. Paul says in Galatians 6:1, "Brothers and sisters, if someone in your community is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently." This is pretty countercultural. In a day where tolerance and relativism rule, the idea that your church community may want to call you to a higher standard is foreign, even offensive. But if we are really to live lives that are compelling to outsiders, that's going to take some work. There's some changing of old habits and attitudes we need to do. So maybe this morning we need to ask, What sinful behavior am I knowingly, consistently turning a blind eye to? And let's start with ourselves. Unfortunately, there are many times some behavior or attitude may not be sinful. But we in the Christian community will judge it as such. This often happens with the gray areas. If you think about it, God gives us an astounding amount of freedom to live our Christian faith. Yes, he provides guidelines and principles, but in many areas, he is not as specific as we would sometimes like. Issues like what kind of food should we eat? What exactly kind of music should we listen to? Is it okay to say these certain words and not these? What movies are okay to watch? Is it okay to practice yoga or drink alcohol? How do we parent our children? What school do we let them go to? Should we celebrate Halloween? In Romans 14, Paul is again addressing a concern of one of the early churches. You thought scripture was irrelevant. This time, the issue isn't sexual immorality. It's a more gray area. What should a Christian do with meat that's been sacrificed to idols? <laughs> In the first century, food was put before idols in the temple for worship and then, since the food was not consumed by the idol, was sent to the marketplace and sold. Now, I realize the presenting issue is not the same for us today, but the principles Paul uses to settle the dispute are helpful regardless. In short, one Christian felt strongly it was not right to eat the meat because it had been put before an idol and it was defiled, so he refused to eat it. Another Christian believed it was fine to eat the meat because the idol wasn't really real anyways. It didn't have any power. Apparently, this was causing a lot of disagreement in the community. If you've spent any time in churches, it is not hard to imagine these kind, this conversation I'm sure they were having, because we have them today just with different issues. But Paul tells the church in Romans 14, one to four, accept both positions without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? And just in case they or we miss the point, he adds in verse 10, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Yes, We are to be firm and hard on blatant sin. But in disputable matters, areas of gray over which two committed Christians may come to different opinions over, we are to refrain from judging. It's okay to come to different conclusions, Paul says. But here are the parameters for living with those differences. First, we need to make our own decision. Romans 14, five, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Second, once we've made the decision, we are to be willing to forego that conviction for the good of others in our midst. Therefore, he says, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. We don't see it in English, but these two phrases, stop passing judgment and make up your mind, are actually the same word in Greek, kreno. It means to judge or decide. It's a great sentence. It's really a word play intended to make this point. Make up your mind about what you think and then make up your mind that you won't do anything to hurt someone else who thinks differently. Even if you feel free, you may need to forego that freedom for the sake of the others in the community. The use of alcohol is perhaps a good example here. One Christian without any predisposition to alcohol may conclude a glass of wine is fine to have occasionally. Another Christian with a history of addiction or a past where alcohol was connected to other negative behaviors in her life may choose to abstain from it. Both are justifiable positions until the two of them choose to go out to dinner together, in which case the person who is fine with it may choose to refrain from it. The law of loving others supersedes any freedom we enjoy This is the idea behind the phrase a theologian coined several centuries ago. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. To be sure, it is sometimes difficult to know the difference between what is essential and what is peripheral. But it's at least worth asking, Is what I am upset about something God is upset about? Or is this just a personal preference? Is this an area God has given us freedom in where there's room for disagreement among Christians? If so, I must be willing to be gracious and accept the other's position. For as a mentor of mine used to say, there is a wideness in God's mercy on these issues. So we've looked at who we are to judge mainly those who've agreed to follow Jesus. And we've looked at what we are to judge. Only blatant sin, not areas where there can be legitimate differences of opinion. Finally, and very briefly, how are we to judge? On those occasions when we must speak the truth to a brother or sister about sin, Galatians 6.1 instructs us, Restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. In other words, we do it humbly, not standing over somebody, alongside them, knowing we could just as easily be in that position. We do it gently. And we do it with the goal of restoring the other person. We must never confront out of anger, pride, or self-promotion, but only out of a desire to do what is best for the other, a desire for their healing, For their good. And we do it ensuring we've first taken a hard, long look at the two by four in our own eye before pointing out the splinter in the other person's eye. There's one question we haven't asked yet, and that is why? Why are we to be slow in judging others? The answer in all these texts is that God alone is the judge. God alone is capable of judging others justly and mercifully. He sees past behavior, genetic, and social influences to the human heart. And he alone can determine motives, culpability, and even progress. And if we're honest takes a pretty sophisticated level of arrogance to assume we are qualified to take on a role that is reserved for God and God alone. So instead of us being known as the Christians who are judgmental, let's leave the judging to God. Yes, we will speak out against wrongdoing in our culture where appropriate. Yes, we will call one another to a better life, free of sin, where appropriate. But let's also accept the differences in the gray areas, allowing the law of love to lead our decision-making. And let us live such good lives in this community that those who see us may see our good deeds and glorify our God in heaven. Amen. Oh God, you alone see all and know all. Psalmist said, where can I go to escape you? Where can I go? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I go down to the depths, you're there. Before I sit, before I rise, you're there. Nobody else sees all. You alone know. May we leave all judgment to you. And where it is fitting and right for us as your people to stand up against injustice, may we be people who do it with truth and grace as your son Jesus did. And where we need to correct one another, may we have wisdom and discernment to know when it is right to do that and wisdom to discern when it is a disputable matter. And may we live such compelling lives that those around us would ask the reason for the hope that is within us. It is to that hope we long and live for. Through your son's Jesus name we pray and give thanks. Amen.